Welcome to the Warrior Project podcast. My name is Em. I'm a growth and development consultant, a wellness coordinator, and a functioning hippie. And I'm Katie. I'm a nurse, wellness junkie, and new mum trying to find her way. We talk about all things health-related, mind, body, and soul. We believe that everything is connected. So buckle up and get ready to have your mind expanded. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. So this is part two of a conversation that I've been having with my little brother, Stefan. Say hello. Hi. He's still here. So we were discussing in part one a lot about um, how Stefan and I responded very differently to our parents' expectations of us, our parents and the way that they spoke to us and had certain conversations with us, I responded in a very, very different way. I cultivated a lot of self-doubt, whereas Stefan, he continued on the same path and his sense of self did not waver, whereas I lost myself for several years and we were pretty much just discussing our responses and just the way that we are in general. So I wanted to continue with... So in the first part, Stefan was talking about our dad and how his upbringing and his childhood was very different to ours. So you mentioned how dad, you know, you mentioned the story about how he was 21 years old, living in his parents' house. They'd both passed away. So dad was 21, on his own, had no one, no money. There was no power, no food in the fridge. Yeah. And I said to you during the break, I feel as though dad's values are very different to ours. So, for example, I feel that one of dad's values, like one of potentially the most prominent ones, is that he values being able to financially provide for his family. I think that's a major one. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yep. And... As I said to Stefan, I don't give a fuck about that value. As in, like, that's not one of mine. You wouldn't want to provide for your family? I don't have one right now. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. Yeah, but what about when you do? I'm sure he didn't have that value before he had kids either. Yes, but what I'm saying is I feel that it's not a focus for me. So like, yeah, so him emphasizing money and financial security and financial stability to me, that's not really important to me. Like I would rather be able to pay my bills, have a roof over my head, be able Mm -hmm. to pay for food, but be doing what I love and be spending time building what I said to you, I think is legacy wealth. Yep. Which is building the website, building the blog, continuing to write, continuing to see my clients, continuing to get, don't hit my house plan. Thank you. Um, Stefan's fidgety has just whacked one of my leaves. Don't touch it. Thank you. Um, I would rather continue to work towards my dreams, as unconventional as they are. That's something that I feel I would rather do. Yeah, look, I think you're right, but I also think that it's a different era. I don't yeah, think... Yeah, I've written that down, yeah. Yeah, I don't think the possibilities were open to Edgel's generation that are open to us. Mm. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, 
the only path to security was the cookie cutter job, yeah. was the cookie cutter hours. That's true. Was the cookie cutter paycheck, um, was the suit and tie. Yeah. Today. Our um, dad's an accountant, by the way. He works for himself from home. He's very yeah. successful. I mean, he works for himself, so he's a trailblazer in that regard, but he still, you know, lives a very conventional life. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I think, for example, if you grew up in the 1960s, your life would have looked different to how it looks now. Yeah, I, I really do. I really do believe that. Um, and, I, and I mean, I share some of the same values as dad. And I do think that in a lot of ways, we do need a return, um, a return away from modernity in a lot of ways, because I think whilst the modern world offers um, a lot more opportunity and a lot more room for expansion in terms of what you can do for money and how you can make money, I also think a lot of the modern values um won't lead you down the path to happiness and i do think that some of the greatest um experiences feelings and intensity you'll experience in your life are from the family um you know the the traditional values and i do hold a lot of those traditional values see i don't know if i agree with that so some of the most profound intense feelings i've experienced have been empathy and I have felt absolute shivers down my whole body, goosebumps, my heart. I felt it like it was so full. And for me, that experience has been achieved. So I can think of one specific example. When I was running a mental resilience workshop for people with intellectual disabilities, yep. the feeling of love, compassion, empathy that I felt speaking to a room full of people with intellectual and psychosocial disabilities and seeing light bulbs go off and seeing them engage with me and seeing them resonate and have that shared empathy. That's a feeling I've not been able to replicate outside of that experience. Yeah. Um, I also, I mean, I'm not a parent, so I understand, you know, unconditional love is something that is probably experienced very deeply when you have a child. Mm. But what I'm saying is, there are other just as significant profound feelings and experiences in addition to parenthood, in addition to family, in addition to the love that you have for someone else. I mean, soulmate love. Like, you know, I love some of my friends so much that I feel what they feel. Sometimes when I see a client who has gone through the most debilitating past traumas and to see them say to me, thank you so much for helping me through this or like I understand exactly what you're saying and, you know, seeing them break down and cry and say, fuck, you know what, I am worthy. The feelings that I receive from that I haven't been able to replicate and that is very fulfilling for me. Yep, and I think I think that's great. I just, I don't agree. That's fine. I don't agree with you either. Yeah. Okay. I think my purpose, is, I think the most fulfilling purpose I would ever achieve on in this life um, would be to satisfy my biological and evolutionary purpose of being on earth and that is um to have children to be a father to be a husband and i don't think any external stimuli will ever give me the feeling that that's going to give me i can but i acknowledge your perspective yeah and i respect that like i respect and acknowledge that and that's your purpose and that's part of what you feel is a fulfilling thing for you yeah whereas i feel I would be okay with not having children. I would be okay with not experiencing that because I feel that my most fulfilling purpose is to help other people save themselves. And mm -hmm. if I can help one person from not killing themselves, 
and help one person experience saving themselves like what I did with myself that's my purpose you've had a net benefit on society yeah and that's what I want I want to be able to reach as many people as I can and which is why it's good that the online forum is is an option for you now yeah because your message can be accessed anywhere in the world yeah um and through various different mediums, whether it's a blog, a podcast, people like to learn in different ways. People like mm. to consume information in different ways. I I go through phases. I get obsessed with a certain podcast. I'll listen to 20 episodes and then I won't listen to a podcast for a few weeks. And yeah. I'll go back to reading a novel. Yep. So, I mean, I'm the same, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can get your message out there in a host of different ways, yeah, your potential net benefit to society and the utility that you can offer could potentially be very large. Yeah. So something as well, so during my mental illness journey, so the year that I was 20, so in 2012, that was when I had my initial mental breakdown. Um, I was in Perth Clinic. Yeah, I was in Perth Clinic um, at the end of the year and I actually spent, so Stefan actually turned 18 that year. Do you remember? Yep. You turned 18. Yep. And I was in Perth Clinic for your birthday. Yep. Do you remember? Yeah. Um, I do remember. And mum and dad had to lie to people and say that I was working, but really I was in a mental clinic. Um, so my experience with, you know, depression, anxiety, then I was diagnosed a few years later with bipolar, borderline personality disorder, um, the eating disorders, bulimia. So that mental illness journey probably went, so from the age of 20 to probably – 27 because i did the math the other day I've, I've been recovered for probably like three years now yeah um so that time in my life was a bit of a blur mm-hmm. so i was living at home for this entire time and so was my brother so stefan moved out in december of 2016 and then i moved out a month or so later yeah I you moved out very shortly after me i do remember that yeah so from so for the four years before you moved out yeah i remember i've had this conversation with mum and mum has said that she felt that her and dad did everything they could to conceal you from what was what i was going through Mm -hmm. and they didn't want you to know about you know the suicide attempts and me trying to overdose on drugs and me doing drugs and stuff like that Mm During that time, I know that – so Stefan and I hated each other during that time because I was unbearable to live with. I was a, I was a bitch. I know that. Stefan hated me. Um, and he even said to me, and these words have stuck with me forever, you know what I'm going to say? Yeah, you bring it up all the time. <laughs> so Stefan said to me, he's like, if you weren't my sister, you wouldn't be my friend. And I that stuck with me because my self-worth was so low. Like now I'm like, I don't really give a shit. Like, but I was so like. <laughs> that, the context <laughs> of that comment was that you asked me, do you think we would still hang out and be friends? Like a narcissist. You're like, do you think we would still hang out and be friends if you weren't my sister? And I said, probably not. <laughs> and then I cried and told mom and it was a big massive thing. So apart from that, what was what was your experience like living at home, mm. knowing that I was in that condition, mum and dad had literally stopped their world as they knew it, Remember, yep. I couldn't be left alone. I yep. was—I could never be left alone. Yeah. So, 
I didn't, I couldn't see it from anyone else's perspective. I was mm-hmm. in my own world of emotional turmoil and self-destruction. So I'm interested to know like now, what was, what was your experience like? Like, how did you view what was going on with me? How did you view the entire situation or did you just try and block the whole thing out? Um, I think I had a very limited understanding of mental health issues and mm. um, a very limited understanding of the complexity of what you were going through. I think I probably thought you were being a bit dramatic mm. um, because you were always dramatic growing up. Yeah. So <laughs> it seems like a natural extension of that, but I didn't appreciate how intense and complex what was going on was. I think, um, you know, I think you're right that mum and dad tried to shield me from it quite a bit, but I also think I was pretty, like, I'm not 10 years old. Mm. You know, I was a grown, whilst my, you know, frontal cortex wasn't developed, I was still an 18-year-old. I knew what was going on. I was aware of my surroundings. Yeah. I knew what was going on was really serious, especially when you went to Perth Clinic. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think from a personal perspective, I had a bit of resentment to what was going on in the sense that I felt like I was doing really well in life at that time Mm. in that, like always doing really well at uni and stuff like that. And I had no attention from mum and dad. And probably no acknowledgement either. No. And I think, um, I think that it's probably good that my personality is not like, I I wasn't reliant on that. Um, good job, good job. And that reinforcement reassurance. Yeah. It wasn't a big deal for me. If I'm being honest, it's not like a love language for me. It's not something that I need. It's not, you know, I'm pretty confident in my own abilities and whatnot. You know, I think it's everyone likes to be, you know, uh, given some positive reinforcement every now and then, but Mm. it's not a huge need of mine, but I think, um, yeah, like I I think because of my personality and my, everything's always going to work out. Okay. Approach. I knew what you were going through was really serious, but part of me did know that you were going to come out the other side of it. Really? So I do think that I probably wasn't as like, you know, I think mum and dad were probably more manic in the, in the, in the, in the regard of like something could happen at any time. Mm. You just didn't know. Mm. Um, whilst they probably bared the biggest burden. I think I was a little bit more laid back about it if I'm being completely honest. And I just kind of knew that it was something you were going to work through. And it wasn't going to probably be with you forever. I find that so interesting. Which turned out to be true. Yeah. I find that so interesting that you always thought that in the back of your mind because mum has told me several times since I've been all good Mm. that her and dad had to have multiple conversations about what would happen if I killed myself. And dad was constantly trying to prepare mum for that outcome. Mm. Not that it was an inevitable outcome, but they were both under the impression that it was a very potential option. Mm. Do you remember what it was like when I was in Bali and Karatha? Because Mm -hmm. mum, what was it like at home? Because mum has told me that she was fighting with dad almost every day. Yeah, very tense. Very tense. Really? I think particularly... um... I think particular. Oh, I was going to say particularly in Karatha, but I think Bali was just as bad. Yeah, they were. That was that was that was probably one of the lowest points I think in the whole journey. Um, obviously, the stress levels would have been through the roof because mm. you weren't under their immediate supervision. Mm. Um, but I also think that those two things were perhaps an important part of your journey. Yeah, they were. Yeah, okay. It was at that point that I learned that I couldn't run from myself and that what I was running from was actually within me. 
Yeah, okay, that's what I figured. Yeah. Um, and see, like, again, like, I have, like, a... I have a huge passion and predisposition to loving, like, fiction and literature from the 1960s and the 1950s, like the Beatnik era, where it literally was, like, a guy would just be, like, this life's not working out for me. I'm going to hitchhike to Chicago from New York, and they would just start walking. Mm. So, like, you just doing this, you know, crazy, I'm going to Bali, I'm doing this and doing that. You know, I think there was a part of me that was anxious because my personality is not like that. I'm not that kind of person. Mm. I could never just be like, I'm going to do this and this is what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. Like, I actually think I have, like, a bit of stage fright in that, like, I like the reg. that might be the lawyer in me. I like the mm. regimental day-by-day routine. Yeah. And, like, when something comes in that kind of throws a spanner in that, I do get a bit freaked out. Yeah. But, like... I don't know. Again, part of me, when all that stuff was going on, like I knew that you were going to come back eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah. And especially, I remember the Bali thing particularly. So just a quick backdrop. Um, I've talked about this on previous podcasts, but so in 2013, I randomly in secret bought a one-way ticket to Bali and <laughs> fucked off there for like a month or so and then came back for a month and then went to Krath for three months. But when you were in Bali, weren't you just going to like Buddhist temples every day and stuff and like... Yeah, but I was also having like a lot of panic attacks and yeah, anxiety yeah. attacks. But what were you going to say? Well, that's what I was going to say. I remember like I had this idea in my head of what was going on It literally Bali. was not like that. Yeah, and then <laughs> you came back and told me what it was like. And I'm like, oh, she does sound pretty fucked. And I remember like in my head I was like, oh, she's getting herself right. You know, yeah. she's like, she's off the grid. She'd just be meditating 12 yeah. hours a day. Yeah. Um, And then you came back and were like, no, I was actually just having a mental breakdown the whole time. Yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. That's beneficial. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a confusing time. Mm. It's a confusing time. It was time. very turbulent. And, yeah, it does feel like, you know how you say, like, oh, you have, you know, there's periods of that time you don't even remember stuff. Yeah. I feel like I'm a little bit like that too. Yeah. Because um, they're really found – I feel like those – between probably, like, 18 and 25, I feel like a much more important foundational years in terms of the type of person you end up being, mm. much more so than, like, 13 to 18. Yeah. Like, 13 to 18, I honestly did not know who I was. Yeah, me and neither. I think, and I don't think anyone does. No. Like, I literally think you're in high school, there's fucking, you're thinking about sex, you've got chemicals pumping through you, you're, like, hyper-competitive, you're, like, focusing on this, you're focusing on that. You're trying to fit into you, social yeah, you're groups. you're trying to fit in, no one knows who they are. You're like, am I, should I hang out with the nerd burnouts or the popular kids, even though none of them have a personality? Yep. Like, the whole thing just sucks. <laughs> And you have no idea who you are. You have no idea what your purpose is. So, like, I feel like those years mean much because it's all just a result of social protocol. Mm. But, like, 18 to 25 is when you really start to hone, like, who am I, what I want to be. Um, like, you start, you mm. naturally just start having uh, thoughts about, like, what I want my life to look like. See, I wasn't I having partner. any of that. I was mentally ill for that entire time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, still, I was going through all that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy that during that period you had boyfriends. I know. Like, I think back to that. And yeah. if you remember, I was transparent with them about what I was going oh, through. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they didn't That's give a fuck. So weird. It is weird. You were a very pretty girl, though. Oh, thank you. I still am. <laughs> you know what I think it is? I think, and this is something that I had been told by friends in the past um, that were friends with me during that time, by people in my family, by the boyfriends back in that past, is that even though... I was a missed 
this time that was being fueled by you know pain and intense emotional and emotional turmoil when there were days where I wasn't experiencing that pain I'm all light mm. and I think I had one ex-boyfriend tell so the me contrast was fucking aggressive yeah I had one ex-boyfriend tell me that during my bad days he's like the reason I stuck around it's because I know that's not you and when you're Emmeline like you're just love and light and smiling and laughing and you're intelligent and you're all these incredible things. And he said, like, that's why I stay is because I get glimpses of who you truly are yep. behind that. Mm. Um, and I think. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think um, as well, like I spin out sometimes when I tell people stories about what like our life was like. Like mum still says today, mum's like, no one will ever know how fucked our life was during that time because it's like you had they weren't there and yeah and even mum's like and it's it was like a movie if it wasn't you pissing off to Bali or Karatha you were doing drugs in your ensuite or you were throwing up what you were eating or you were going for walks and smoking weed or like she's like it was so like this is a TV show. Like it, she's like it was almost surreal sometimes that your dad and I were having conversations about what we would do if you killed yourself. Yeah. And it's a spin out now that I look back on that and I look at who I am now and I'm like, I can't believe that I was like that because I see my worth so much now. And sometimes, yeah, I experience self-doubt but not so much to the point that it makes me forget who I am and how much I love myself. affect your identity. Yeah, like now I'm like I know who I am and and it's quite liberating to know that I don't fit into any conventional construct, but that doesn't bother me. Like I'm quite happy with all my houseplants and my cavoodles and training and just and reading and coaching and I'm quite happy in my life now and it doesn't fit into any construct. And it's also interesting... I um I spoke I think I, I told you I spoke um at a school a couple of weeks ago. I was doing sessions on bullying um and mental health and one of the kids put up put up her hand and she was like, "Do you ever cry when you talk about the things that you went through when your mental health was bad?" Yeah, and I was like, "No, I don't." And really? She, yeah. And that's what's bizarre. Like I can speak to a client and tell them about my experience with that naturopath that yeah. indecently assaulted me. Yeah. And I can say to them quite candidly, yeah, I went back six times and let him do what he did because I felt I deserved it because I thought it was a piece of shit. Mm. And I can say that without crying. Mm. Like it's like I'm looking back and I'm like, wow, that's a version of myself that no longer exists. Like I have divorced myself from, from that, that version. Like That I'm, would be why you're emotionally detached from it. Yeah. you can look at it objectively. Yeah, like it's a part of me, but it's not me. I'm not my past. Yes. And I think that's something that is pretty profound that a lot of that a lot of people can't. A lot of people don't have that. No. Yeah, like I yeah, like I can trapped in the paradigm of their trauma. Yeah, like I can think about things that I went through. And that's the other thing, everyone has trauma. Yeah. Yeah, everyone. Mm. But I think it's it's, you know, how much work you do. But like I can look at look back on things that I experienced that were very traumatic and like you used to make me feel ashamed, like things like with a naturopath like that used to be quite, used mm. to make me feel ashamed. And, you know, looking back um, about the eating disorder stuff and just like how it dictated my whole life and how I didn't have a life and things that used to make me feel shame, I can talk about it now and like not feel it, like I don't feel ashamed about any part of my life or any part of myself. There is no shame. 
I'm just yeah. like, yep, this is what it is. This is my past. It's a part of my self-concept, but it's not the entirety of me. Yeah. And I think, like, even if you think about the way you want, we would, we would have fights over the bathroom almost every day because I just was like, remember, I never used to want to get out of the bathroom and you were always in there and I'd skits out. Like, I was just a bitch. He's nodding. He's just like, yes, you were. <laughs> Just like flat out, but I'm not anymore, I don't think. Oh, a little, uh, a little bit. Yeah, but only if you like, if you annoy me on purpose. Yeah, yeah it's such a high house plan. Yeah, like, don't, don't treat the dogs with the respect. Yeah, yeah. Don't greet the dogs when you walk into the room. Yeah. There's <laughs> yeah, a few weird little idiosyncrasies <laughs> that you've got to deal with, but like, that's fine, it's healthy. Yeah, but, but in general, I think like we like each other now. Yeah. Like, I never thought it would get to this point where my brother and I just randomly message each other during the week asking, like, how we're going and shit and just, like, sending each other, like, random memes and, like, Stefan and I know what's going on in the other's life now because we're wanting to, like, nurture that sibling relationship, whereas before we never did. Yeah, well, I think it's always been a thing that, like, when I hear, I have, like, a physical response to hearing about people that don't have relationships with their parents or their siblings. Mm. Like, I don't know why, but I always have. I've just been like, like, that's, I don't feel upset or sad about many things, but that's something that it really makes me sad. Mm. When I hear like, mm. oh, this sibling treated like me like this my whole life and I don't really have a relationship with them now. Mm. That's like the saddest thing to me. I don't know why. Yeah. Because from a, from a biological standpoint, it's just like, okay, well, you just came out of the same vagina as that person. Yeah. And you were raised, you know, in the same house. It's kind of like, you know, I can understand people that don't know their biological mother or the biological yeah, yeah, father yeah. or whatever, that they don't feel that connection to them. Um, but it still doesn't make it any less sad. Like I always just, you know, there seems to be something, um, there seems to be something to do with inherent understanding and connection that you have with those people, which warrants attention that you mm. should foster. Mm. Um, because I think that, if you turn away from that in some regard, you're turning away from who you are. Yeah. You're parts turning away yourself. from parts of yourself. Yeah. So you're wanting, so you're saying that because of that, you're wanting to nurture your relationships within your well, I think family. Everyone should. Yeah. I think everyone should. Yeah. Um, because I do think that you'll like one thing, um, which I was actually going to ask you about, but it's like one thing in my relationships that I've always struggled with is I have never felt completely understood. Mm. And that's something that, like, I was having a conversation with um, someone about recently where they were saying, like, you should really, like, focus on that, meditate on that, manifest that. Because you know what that means. So you can create that It means feeling, you don't fully understand yourself. Which I which I don't think I do. There it is. Um, <laughs> there it is, boys. There it is, boys. Because I've <laughs> um, said this on multiple podcasts, multiple people. No one will ever understand you to you the depth that yourself. you will, though. Even when you understand yourself. Yeah, but don't you long for that feeling? No, because I get it from within. Oh, because I literally, I long for a feeling of like, I don't understand this and I say it to someone and they understand it and it helps me contextualise it. No, that's wrong. Yeah. So you need to get introspective with yourself and develop a deeper understanding. Well, like what this person told me and then yeah. I, even then I lashed out of them. Okay, all right. Like, <laughs> I thought like, it's not going to be a safe space. I'll leave you know? Yeah, <laughs> um, I think... Anything that you long for in someone else, you want in yourself. You have not cultivated it within yourself. Mm, like, great. I love Josh with my entire heart, but there is nothing that I 
need or want from him. I just want his love because, you know, we're, you know, companionship. But in terms of understanding, compassion, empathy, I don't need that from him. I give it to myself. Mm. I give myself compassion. I give myself empathy. I give myself understanding. I don't need him to believe in my dreams. Why the fuck should I? I should believe in my dreams. If he, you yeah, know, no, I get that. I think I more just mean like you will be able to it's find a, a deep a, connection. It's a nice, it's a nice feeling to have someone understand. Yeah, what makes you tick? To an extent, they and will. Feel, and I feel like um, I'm always lashing against that. I'm mm. like a shark in a tank mm. where I just want to swim in the ocean. And if someone tries to put me in the cage and says, well, clearly everything about you is making you want to go in the right direction. And then I'll say, well, actually, I want to go left. Yeah. But why? That's you. It's a toxic thing to have, I think. I don't think you've developed a deep understanding of what makes you tick. Mm. That's for another podcast. Um, So anyway, that's, uh, that's a wrap up for part two. Um, we might have to do like a part three, four, five, six, seven in another series because there is some really deep shit that Stefan and I can talk about. Like we can go into absolute spiritual rabbit holes and potentially never come out. So we might need to prepare ourselves for that. Um, but anyway. We'll make sure for part three that I've had my booster by then so we can be completely safe with each other. Don't make comments like that. He's joking. He is very left-wing though, but, you know, we can still appreciate his intellectual left-wing. capacity. Anyway. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. I really hope that this was an interesting listen for you and it gave you some interesting perspective on yourself and even potentially uh, myself if you've been listening for a while. Um, As usual, please subscribe. Give me a five-star review. You can find me on Instagram on The Warrior Project. Um, If you have any questions or queries, feel free to message me. But other than that, thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you on the next one. 